Uh, we're doing a series on work title, whatever you do, and we're doing it because we want people to think through those 90,000 hours plus that you'll be spending through the course of your life working, that you would actually think God's thoughts about those moments. You know, more than half of every working day you're spending at work. But too many of us don't think Jesus' thoughts about what we're doing. So we're really hoping that through this series over the next five or six weeks, with each new talk and aspect, we're going to be looking at work and hoping we'll add another piece to the puzzle so that you can see that the big theme really, especially for today, is work is not the meaning of life, but oh, does it have meaning? And I'm really hoping that you'll get to see that. Now, by work, what do we mean? We're not just talking about paid work, okay? So we're talking about if you're unemployed, for example, your work is to work, to find work. If you're sick, your work is to get better, to heal. Um, if you're a student, your work is to study. There's domestic work, cleaning, washing up. There's relational work, mothering, nurturing the young. All of that is within the scope of what we're talking about. Now, I know before we think about God's view of work, why don't we think about your view of work for a moment? And I think we fall into three categories. You either view work kind of neutral. You know, you do it, you don't give much thought to it, it pays the bills. There are many of us who view work negatively. You know, I've got a bad boss, I've got a boring job, and the pay is below what it should be. I was talking to three sisters from Malawi a few weeks ago in the foyer, and they were saying, one of them said they were under pressure because they couldn't find a job. And as you know, in Dubai, no job, no visa. Okay, then the next one said, I've got a job, but the pressure of the KPIs, the key performance indicators, trying to keep up the amount of business coming in, if I don't reach those markers, I'm going to lose my job. And then the third one said, well, I've got a promotion. Now I'm feeling the pressure of operating at that new level, and if I don't, I could get the sack. And you think, man, talk about pressure. And all of a sudden now, the joy of work gets kind of lost. So it's a negative experience. But for some, whoa, work is the meaning of life. It gets you up in the morning. It's the reason why you exist. It defines who you are. Man, you're prepared to sacrifice even your family to get that job, to grow that business. But today we're going to see afresh that work is not the meaning of life, but it has meaning. Here are five reasons why it has meaning. You ready? Are we ready? Oh, yeah. Number one, God is glorified in our work. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. It's one of those great summary statements says this. 1 Corinthians 10. So, why don't you say it with me? So, whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. That's where we've got the title. Whatever you do, including your job, whether it's a great job or you feel like it's not, once you accept Christ as your Lord and Saviour, once you know that heaven is your home and God is your dad, once you know that you're saved not by works but by grace, unearned and undeserved, your whole life becomes the sphere, the altar upon which the God of the universe is pleased. So that not only are you worshipping God when you come to church on Sunday, but the whole of life becomes holy. The whole of life becomes a sphere in which you get to put a smile on the face of God. Isn't that good news? That means all of life has meaning. And I've got to say that for a long time, the church either implied or taught that somehow there was spiritual work and non-spiritual work. And, uh, and so you know, only God is glorified in the spiritual stuff. If you're 
from a Roman Catholic background, for example, you might have thought if you, if you had to be a priest or a nun to achieve that. If you're from a Bible-believing Protestant tradition like ourselves, uh, you'll feel like yeah, unless you're a pastor or an evangelist, you get to glorify God. But then 500 years ago, a man by the name of Martin Luther walked onto the scene, opened up his Bible and started teaching us from the Bible that actually we're all priests. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. You get to draw near to God on behalf of others. And secondly, that all of life, not just part of it is holy. And that includes that job that you do 40, 50 hours a week. That's wonderful. Now, as followers of Jesus, there are two kinds of work that we're to be committed to. Not spiritual versus non-spiritual, because they're both spiritual. One of them is described as the work of the Lord. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes that after he talks about the confidence we have that Jesus rose from the dead and you're getting a brand new body in the resurrection, he says this, Therefore, always, 1 Corinthians 15, 58, always, Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. That work of the Lord there is speaking about your service in the church as a member of the congregation and your role in the kingdom of God. And he's saying because Jesus rose from the dead and you're going to rise as well, therefore what you do in the church of God will last for eternity. You are not wasting your time, brothers and sisters, when you get to serve. So if you're not serving yet... Heed that word. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. Now, that's the work of the Lord. Every Christian is to be involved in that. Now, there's a work for the Lord, and that's Colossians 3.23. Paul says this. Whatever you do, there it is again. Do it all. How? With all your heart. Why? As working for the Lord, not for human masters. Any job a Christian does is to be done as one working for who? For the Lord Jesus Christ. So whether you're a cleaner, you teach children, or you run a business, who are you working for? You're working for God, the Lord God. So don't do your work out of fear that you might lose your job or upset your boss and, and, uh, and get in trouble. Don't do your work because you want to suck up to the boss, get a promotion and get a wage. All those things are good. No, you realise you've got one boss, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. Live out of that reality, the one who died for you and gave himself for you. And remember this, as you serve the Lord, he will remember all your faithfulness and he will reward you forevermore. And you will enjoy eternity knowing that you got a chance to put a smile on the face of God in those hours of work that may sometimes be exciting and sometimes boring, but always glorifying to God. I remember a uh, young violinist, she got tutored by a, uh, an expert uh, uh, instructor. And uh, finally that day came when she got to perform in front of a big concert hall. And then she performed and it went well and the crowd stood up and applauded her. And they said afterwards, how did you feel when everyone was applauding you? She said, to be honest, I didn't really care. I was only interested in one opinion, my instructor. And when he stood up and when he applauded, then I knew I did a good job. And I want us to live our Christian life in our workplaces, paid, unpaid, whatever we're doing, with our eye bang on Jesus, knowing that his smile is the smile that matters. Well, God 
We're able to glorify God in all that we do. That's the first thing. Secondly, God, Father, Son and Spirit is a worker and that's why work is meaningful. Let's look at Genesis 2.2. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. Oh, he's a worker. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. You know, the ancient religions, in the ancient religions, um, the gods always created humans to do the dirty work. In fact, to do any work, really. They didn't want to get their hands dirty. But you notice there that God is not embarrassed to call himself a worker. In fact, he's not embarrassed to actually describe himself as getting his hands dirty. In Psalm 95, verse 5, look at this verse. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. So God describes himself as a white-collar worker and a blue-collar worker. God issues orders, but he also gets down and dirty and works with his hands. God has got dirt underneath his nails. That beautiful image. Now, I don't know whether you think this this pastor's done any decent work in his life. My brother-in-law's always tell me I only work one day a week. It feels more than that. But here's a CV. This is your pastor's CV. Here we go. Well, for the first 20 years of my life, I was a farmer, uh, farmer's son. So that's me on the farm. Uh, I think that's a, a box full of cucumbers. The next slide has me and my mum washing the cucumbers. That woman, she was a goat herder back in Malta. I'm the son of a goat herder and she taught me how to work. And there we are washing the cucumbers. Okay, then we'll move on. I was a furniture removalist. I worked for McDonald's. If we could move off that slide, because you're going to keep looking. Uh, <laughs> he really was young once, wasn't he? That's what you're thinking. Um, I worked for McDonald's. Uh, in Australia, we called it Maccas. Uh, I worked as a, uh, in a plant nursery. I worked in a chicken factory killing chickens. <laughs> Next time you're eating KFC, think of me. <laughs> How do you think they got there? I painted houses. I was a student. I worked as a kitchen hand in two restaurants, especially the French restaurant. I put on so much weight because the food had come back. Some people don't even eat their food. I'm eating their food while it's come back. Anyway, I won't go into that. Uh, I was a government clerk. Oh, man, that drove me nuts. Um, I was a social worker for three years, a marriage and family counsellor. And for 32 years, I was a pastor. Not one of those jobs had any more dignity than any other. They, were all, they all had dignity, they all had meaning, and they all had the capacity to glorify God. Sorry, if we could move off that slide, please. I, I didn't know that was still on. I, I, you're thinking, wow, he really has changed, hasn't he? Oh, dear. Now, a tip for those of you who are dating, a tip for those of you parents who want to give directions to your kids who are dating. Watch how people, your, your beloved, relates to people in the service industry, people who work with their hands. Because if they do not give them the respect they deserve, I'd end the relationship now. Because you can be guaranteed they're going to treat you in exactly the same way the moment you say, I do. Now, friends, uh, God's work of creation ceased. But God's work of sustaining the universe and saving a people for himself, that never ceases. John 5, verse 17, Jesus says this, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. The the same God who created and sustains the universe is the same God who sent his son and his spirit to save a people for himself. What that means is 
all of life is spiritual. God is involved in the physical as much as he is in the spiritual. I love what Melito said in the second century. He said, the God who hung the earth in its place hung there on the cross. God is involved in everything 24-7, physical and spiritual. And uh, it's important to remember this. I don't get to glorify God any more in this sermon than in what you're doing at work. Whether your work is to pour concrete, for example, whether your work is to be a nanny, whether your work is to be on cabin crew, you, any godly Christian in any one of our roles equally glorifies God. Now, I want to say this. You will deny God his glory if you're not giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord in building up his church and his kingdom. That's the other side of that. And did you know that you will be working in the new creation? But there your boss won't be boring and uh, uh, your boss won't be bad and your work won't be boring. That you can be assured of. Point three, third reason why work is meaningful. We rule this world with God bringing order out of chaos. Let's look at Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. You know, we humans are the only species given a job description. And it's this. Fill the earth, subdue it. And take care of it. And God created us in this world to continue the work that he had begun. It's been entrusted to each of us, not just some of us. Now, you may think, oh, right, work is so bad. You know, that it's, you don't have any positive concept of work. But look at, at the very beginning that work was already part of God's plan for humans. Genesis 2.15. The Lord God took the man, who's that? Adam. Put him in the Garden of Eden, paradise, to what? To work it and take care of it. Those two verbs, work and care, are used exactly, they're the same verbs used for the priest as he works in the tabernacle. Another reminder that all of life is holy. God expected Adam to work in paradise, and guess what? He expected Adam to work outside of paradise when he was kicked out of the garden. In the garden, Adam worked with his mind as he named the animals. He worked with his hands as he tilled the soil. In paradise, Adam was joined by Eve, and together they ruled the world to the glory of God. And as Genesis unfolds, you see cities being established, technology being developed, music being created. But with that little warning, don't get too proud. Don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. We were built to work. And that's why it's not, it ought not to surprise us that when people can't find work, it is actually very depressing. It's very hard. It's heartbreaking. After every service, pretty much nearly every service since I've been here, someone has come up to me and said, Pastor, can you please pray? I'm looking for a job and I can't find one. Now, I firstly want to say there's two things you need to understand. Not one thing, two things. One, that desire to work is a God-honoring desire and I honour that. That desire to look for work is itself God-glorifying. And secondly... Please know that Jesus grieves and we grieve with you and we pray that you will indeed find that job. But know this, if you can't find work, there is no shame, no shame in actually going back home 
because you can't find work here. You may go to another country, you may go back home. You've tried to find work, great. You've given it a crack, you've given it the best shot you can, great. But if it comes and you think, I'm, the visa's ended, I can't find work, I don't, I don't want to overstay my, okay. There is no shame in going back. In fact, going back to find work is itself God-honouring and God-glorifying, even though it might feel a little bit embarrassing when you meet the relatives and you have to give an explanation. Well, that's their problem. It ought not to be yours. God is pleased. Now, notice how God works. Notice in Genesis 1, uh, it's always with purpose with God. He always does things with intention. Things move from nothing to something, from chaos to order. In Genesis 1, we see darkness move to light. We see empty move to full. And we see things, and then we see animals, then we see human. Things are always created with purpose and, and intention. Now, the challenge for us is to understand how our work fits into God's purposes. Let me share this with you. If you're cleaning a wardrobe or whether you're designing a building, you're actually reflecting God's purpose and character in bringing order out of chaos. If you're servicing a car, you're a mechanic who's servicing a car. You're reflecting God's desire and you say making sure the brakes are working. You're, you're seeking to reflect God's protection over his people. If you've joined the police force or you're a lawyer, you're seeking to reflect God's desire to bring justice to this part of the world. If you're treating a wound as a medic, you're reflecting God's desire to heal and bring whole, whole, wholeness. If you're mothering an infant, you're reflecting God's passion for infants and children. The challenge for you is how does your work reflect God's character and purpose? That's your challenge this week. Whatever you're doing, how does your work reflect God's character and purpose? Now, of course, if you're a hitman or a drug pusher, it won't. <laughs> and if you're here today and you're a hitman, we want to say, we're really glad you're here. Don't kill us. Uh, become a Christian. You will be forgiven, but you must turn away from your sin. And go and find a decent job where you can actually glorify people and glorify God. It's interesting, isn't it? One person can fill a hole in Sheikh Zayed Road, and another person can fill a hole in a tooth on a dental chair. Two very different jobs, two very different incomes. As we all know, going to a dentist, the pain in the wallet's much greater than the pain in your mouth. But both very different jobs, both glorifying to God, both bring order out of chaos. And you know what? Both are expressions of love for other people. And that's the fourth point. We love others in and by our work. I love the fact that, you know how God gives different gifts in the church to build up the church? God's given you a gift, so use it. Do the work of the Lord. But he's actually given different abilities in our society to make us a healthy society. That's why we need each other. And our work becomes then a means by which God, through us, is actually loving the society that we're in. You know, when Jesus was asked the two great, what, what are the great commandments? He said there are two, and these them. Let's, let's say them together. Mark chapter 12. Together. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And we are to take those two commandments and apply them to our work. We are to love those within our workplace, those we work for, boss, manager, 
those we work with, our co-workers, those we work over, our customers, our clients, shareholders, whatever they are. Now we're going to spend a lot of time, we're going to spend a whole talk on that because as we all know, the greatest point of stress are relationships at work. Amen? Amen. So we're going to give a special talk to that. But I just want to know, today I want to say, I want to focus in not just the love we bring to work in our relationships, but I want you to think for a moment that your work itself is an act of love for others. And I think that's the thing we miss. Um, imagine if God gave, made us in exactly the same way. This society would collapse. I mean, you do not want Ray Galea with a scalpel in his hand doing surgery. People will die on the operating table, guaranteed. You do not want me with a hammer and a nail in my hand. I tell you, I've built sheds. I built one shed in my life, and it looked like the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I stood back and said, this is not good. <laughs> you do not want me writing computer programs. Systems will crash. I love, I sometimes look and I see the diversity of skill sets in humanity, and I think this is its own kindness of God that he's given such different skill sets that allows us to work together. Now, it's easy to see our love for others when you've got a certain type of job. If you're a physiotherapist or you're a speech pathologist, it's clear that you actually your job helps other people. But what I want you to think of, I want you to keep broadening it so that it includes your particular job. So say you're an electrician and you're laying cable. You're actually loving people. You're loving people by establishing homes that families can live in or offices and factories where people can work. That's a loving act. You need to see it as a loving act. Garbage collectors. No one loves society more than garbage collectors. And you only have to, in other parts of the world, have strikes. Then you really know how much you love garbage collectors because they keep society free from diseases. They have improved the lifespan of people more than actually doctors have. If you're an accountant, and I often talk to accountants, they think, oh, I don't know, my job is meaningless. No, you're making sure that companies are run financially in a balanced way so that in the end they, can, they, they endure uh, the, the highs and lows of, of, uh, of uh, you know, supply and demand so that in the end workers can flourish. If you're a food delivery person, driver, then it's clear that you're loving people by providing food. Now, all of those jobs are ranked differently pay structure-wise. That's how the world orders it. But from God's eyes, they're all expressions of his love through people to our society. When my cousin Charlie, I come from a family of farmers, right? When my cousin Charlie heard that my niece, was becoming, she's going to become a doctor. Ooh. Ooh, a doctor. You know what he said? Yeah, but can she grow spinach? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I love that he said that because what he was saying is you get excited about the fact she's a doctor but without farmers, we starve. And it's true, isn't it? And what we don't seem to have is this mutual respect for each other's jobs and roles in society. It's one of those things that just kind of breaks your heart that you see people with, who work with their, essentially you know, their thinking jobs often look down on people who work with their hands and vice versa. We need to take our attitude of love to the workplace. That God has placed us there 
to love the people we come in contact with, our customers, clients, our work colleagues, but also to make sure that, our, that we pursue the attitude of love so that there's good quality, there's work safety, there's fair pricing, there's good working conditions. And I know we each have different levels of influence in that area, but the degree to which you can shape the work culture, you should and make it a loving environment. We work, we love those we work with, we love those we work for. And that's how we glorify God. Amen? Amen. Reason number five, we glorify God with the money we earn from our work. In Proverbs 3 verse 9, honour the Lord, honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. That particularly speaks warmly to farmers. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. So we work so that we can earn. Why? So that the fruit of our labour, we get to bless our bodies, our families, the poor. We fund uh, gospel work so that others can hear about Jesus, work within the church so the church can thrive and survive. Um, we, may, we may, work is not the meaning of life, but boy, does it have so much meaning embedded in it. You know, before I came to Christ, I never studied really very hard. And I'll tell you why. I was always afraid to find out my limits. See, if I didn't study completely, I could always say, well, if I worked harder, I would have got a better mark. But once I worked harder, I didn't get necessarily a much better mark. Okay, this was my, I encountered my limits. But it was, I always lived never pushing myself. I never studied hard. I never worked hard. I never worked with an attitude of wanting to work hard because I couldn't see the point before I was a follower of Jesus. You know, I kind of was always looking at my clock and my watch, waiting for the for lunch, the lunch break or the end of the day or the day off or the holiday. I never saw my work as having any meaning, any purpose until I became a follower of Jesus and I knew in light of the resurrection where there's a living Lord who actually is pleased when I work to his glory, that all of a sudden everything had meaning. Those you know, 90,000 hours that were in front of me were packed with meaning as I engaged in work. And no job seemed too unimportant to him. You know, the, the thing that my family noticed more than anything else when I became a follower of Jesus is I started offering to wash up after dinner. Now, if you've ever seen a 20-year-old Maltese offering to wash up, is that not a miracle? Amen. I've got a couple of Maltese in the front row here. They're saying amen. That is a miracle. A 20-year-old male offering to wash up. Well, I saw my sisters in the kitchen. I thought it should be, I should help them. Amen, sisters? Amen, I thought you'd agree with that. <laughs> I put the guys off, but I've got the women on side. But just seeing, but all of a sudden now, I knew that washing up wasn't a, wasn't a meaningless job. I could actually wash up to the glory of God. Amazing. Everything had purpose. Have you found your why in life? Because I tell you, once you do, you're set free. There's a famous story of three men doing exactly the same job, being asked the same question, They worked in a quarry. And remember, they did the same job. And they were asked this question, what are you doing? First person said, I'm cracking rocks, can't you see? Second person who did exactly the same job said, I'm earning a living to feed my family. Third person said, I'm building a cathedral. Same job, saw it three different ways. You know, no one answer was a sufficient answer. All three answers helped give a much fuller meaning to the job. But no one gave the ultimate reason. You know what the ultimate reason was? What are you doing? I'm glorifying God. It may look to you like I'm splitting rocks, 
but I'm glorifying God. So when you're going off to work this week and someone says, where are you going? What are you doing? Saying, I'm going to worship God through my job. And that'll start a very good Jesus conversation, I'm guaranteed. And when someone observes and says, why is it that when you work, you seem to work with such diligence? You answer them. You need to understand, God gave me his best, so I want to give him my best. And when they say to you, but, but I see, I know your boss is bad and I know your job is boring, but there's a joy in the way you do your job. Why is that? You tell them, I know the job is boring and I know the boss is bad, but if I do this job to the best of my ability, I'm going to put a smile on the face of the Lord Jesus and for him I'll do everything and anything. But the real test is this, I reckon. You know when someone comes from your workplace to church, you kind of know them a little bit, but not a real lot. So you haven't had heaps of conversation, but you've seen each other in work. And they see that you're a follower of Jesus and fellowship is your home. What will be, and they're a non-believer, what will be their reaction? Will they say, really? I had no idea you're a follower of Jesus by the way you work. There was no evidence whatsoever (laughs) in your attitude to work, in the way you treated people, in the way you carried yourself. No clue that you're a follower of Jesus. Or will they say, ah, that explains it. That's why you carry yourself the way you do. I notice the way you work. You work with such diligence. You treat people with such respect, even the ones that really are disrespectful to you. I notice the way that when you get a little bit annoyed, you're quick to apologize. I see. I think you work to make Jesus look good, don't you? That's exactly right. And he's not the aim. Isn't it all about making Jesus look good? in those 90,000 hours worth of work that are in front of us. Amen? Amen. That's what I want to do. Isn't that what you want to do? Let's pray that God will empower us to make Jesus look good in our workplaces, paid or unpaid, study, mothering, employed, unemployed, getting better. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as one worker to another, thank you that we get to glorify you in our work sphere. No matter what we do, whether it's paid or unpaid, whether we're looking for work, mothering, studying, whether we're blue collar, white collar, please help us, Lord, to understand that every moment of our work life is loaded with meaning. We get to glorify you. For our dear brothers and sisters who are, and friends who are looking for work, oh, Lord, our heart goes out to them. And, Father, we pray that you will indeed answer their prayers and ours by providing work for them. And may we who work, Lord, seek to honour you in how we work, in how we treat those we work with, in how we treat those we work for, Father, and that we will use what we earn for your glory. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit to make Jesus look good in our places of work. And this we ask in the name of Jesus. And all the saints said, Amen Amen indeed.